0: It's a brand new day and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now here are your hosts, Zerolina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh.
1: Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I am with Zerlina Maxwell and we are joined right now by our former co-worker, senior advisor to Hillary Clinton, and now author, Huma Abedin. Thank you so much for being here. Jess and Zerlina, I am so thrilled to be talking to you today. Thank you for having me. Well, we're just- I'm so to-
0: happy to have you. Reading
1: your book and hearing your voice and the fact that you're telling your story now after all of this time is just- it's remarkable and it's exciting and as people who have, you know, followed your career pretty close up and also from afar, it's just really, really nice to see you sort of stepping into your own story after hearing people talk about you for so long. So I guess I, that's my first question is, as someone who has attained that level of privacy despite being a very publicly known person, what, why write a memoir? Why, why decide to, to do this for everybody else now?
0: Well, you know, as I'm on the tail, second you know, the second week of my my book tour, i've I wake up every morning and I feel a lightness of being and a liberation and sort a joy really um talking about my story, which is which was something I hadn't really anticipated. You go into this process writing a book. It's like, you know, bringing a baby into the world and then you don't really mm-hmm. know what it will be like on the other side. And, you know, Zerlina's nodding because she knows this very, very well. You know, she was my inspirations to actually write the book. You know, I write, there's a whole epilogue, by the way, that got cut from the book of all the women who kind of gave me that power to put, you know, write my story down. And the reason I did is because I felt as though I was somebody in public service for the last 20, 25 years and somebody else was always telling my story. This is mm-hmm. what she says, this is what she believes, this is what she thinks. And I, rec- it felt like my history was being taken away from me, that somebody else was writing it for me. And so it's reclaiming my truth. And I loved the writing. I loved writing. I loved the process. And now that it's out in the world, I'm really I'm really happy to share, share my story.
2: Right. I mean, one of the things that's so cool is, um, how personal you get. Um, and you know, I think that understanding who you are through this, even though we, we worked you know, in, with you on the campaign, obviously you were, you were with the principal, <laughs> you were with uh, HRC. So, so, so just really understanding how the world through your eyes is I think something that I gleaned a lot from. Um, can you just talk about what it's like? Because we were trying to come up with the right metaphor um, to describe you the other day on the show and we failed. So, um, we were, we were trying to describe what you're able to do. You're, you're in the room for, for so many amazing and major things, right? Significant world events with, with the people making the decisions. Um, and yet you're able to sort of, it's like very stealth. You're able to sort of like move and you're, you're not saying a lot, but when you do speak, it's very important. Something you're saying is very important and critical. And then you sort of like, you know, go into the background again. And that is a, that's a skill. And so my first question is how did you develop that skill over time? Because in the book, what you will realize uh, when folks read it is that you didn't show up with that that ability to, to be, you know, up close to all of the decision makers, um, and yet sort of navigate what I think is very difficult, especially as a woman of color.
0: Yeah. You know, you're the only person who has uh, described it that way. And I have a whole chapter called moving along the Mm seams and it is something inspired by my father. And, and, and I, and one of the reasons so two things first, in terms of witnessing history, kind of being in the room, being, um, uh, uh, a witness to some of the most incredible things, both good and bad, that have happened in our country over the last d- two decades. I tried when I approach writing this book to not be telling people. I tried to show people. It's a show, not tell, sort of experience for me. What was it like to be on that airplane? What was it like on the inside of the State Department as we're you know debating these meetings about how to you know how to respond to things like the Arab Spring? And I I hope I have done that. I mean, I've this sort of trying to say this as humbly as possible, is like this is these were the stakes, these were the decisions we had to make, this is how hard it was, and these were the decisions, these incredible, whether it's Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton or John McCain. And, and I try to reveal their humanity and try to just show, mm-hmm. you know, frankly, in many cases, you know, what incredible leaders and humans they were how i got that skill i actually and it is why the book starts with my family it starts with my father and my mother and the you know my father always said your eyes are at the front of your head for a reason it's to look forward that it's important to understand history but so that it can inform decisions and choices we make for the future and he grounded me my you know my father was diagnosed my product of immigrant parents indian father pakistani mother came here pursuing the american dream boy did they get it But my parents really, we grew up, I grew up in Saudi Arabia, as I write in the book. They pushed us to explore the other, other cultures and, you know, faiths and races and religions. Who are they? Why? What, you know, trying to respect and appreciate. And I think landing at the White House at 21, um, bringing that perspective, having traveled the world Mm -hmm. and having a confidence in my Point of view in the way I was raised. You know, my dad was a big, loved plants, and he would always say, People are like plants, and a plant is only as good, good as its roots. That if you mm-hmm. nourish the soil, maintain those roots, the plant's going to be okay. And I think that that grounding is what put me in those spaces and places. I never wanted to be the center of attention, but I knew what I believed, and I knew, you know, what my principles and values that were instilled in me from my parents. And hopefully I've, you know, done them proud. I mean-
1: I think it would be it would be hard to imagine a set of parents that would be like, yeah, well, she could have been a lawyer, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Jess! But this is the thing that's so amazing. Not even when you come from my part
0: of the world, any South Asian, any brown person who's watching this or listening to this, rather, will will get it. You know, when, when I was growing up, there were three professions: it was doctor, lawyer, engineer. Those are anything outside of that was like, huh? Like you, success is those three things. And frankly, and if you were a woman. It was go to school, but like, maybe just get married. Marry
1: um, one of those three professions, right. Right. Yes. And yeah. I write that.
0: <laughs> yes. And to have parents say, you can do anything you want. We only require one thing. You be educated. Anything anything else is your choice. So I appreciate, Jess, that you said that.
1: <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> so- I've I've read some of the, the reception of this book as if people are, they wish that they're, they were surprised that there was as much in this book Mm. defining Hillary Clinton as there was. Mm -hmm. And it, in my mind, like you care that people know who Hillary is. You care that people understand why you have devoted the vast majority of your adult professional life to helping her achieve the vision for the country that, that she has, that just strikes me very much as like, it's, it's a staffer response. And I think that there's, there's a reluctance on behalf of people who have not sat in the rooms that you have sat in to believe that we believe this stuff. Like we work for these people because we believe it. Yes. And the stakes are right. momentously high so, yeah, it actually does become one of the most important things in your life is to make sure that people understand this person who you're working for, because you care that much. And that's why you do the work that you do. So how do you handle it when people say that your truth is spin? So I um
0: I, 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 it's why I, I wrote this chapter in the book when I walked into the White House in 1996, I was not even sure if I was a Democrat and I was working in Bill Clinton's administration. And for me, you know, and in, in fact, you know, most of my family at the time, I think, you know, supported Republicans, most South Asians are fiscally and socially conservative. And so by default, at least back in the eighties. Um. So for me to walk into a place where it felt like it was a cause that there was important work being done, that every day was driven by whatever that proactive message wasn't, whether that was advocating, you know, for women's rights around the world, whether that was championing Middle East peace process, which Bill Clinton was trying to do at the time, or the Ireland, Northern Ireland Accords. This notion that something important and good was happening every day is one of the reasons I stayed out. When we left, when they left the White House, I made a promise to myself the day I did not, got out of bed and didn't want to go to work, was the day that mm. I really noticed, and that was twenty five years ago. And even you know, even this idea of 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 how you know how to participate. there is plenty of other professions that you can do, but to walk into you can't describe it. Both of you know this. The feeling you have when you were walking into a campaign event, whether it's a town hall, a coffee shop in the middle of America, you are carrying people's hopes and dreams and aspirations and fears. The responsibility. First of all, it is. The most incredible goosebumpy experience, but mm-hmm. the the responsibility that you feel—that's a hard thing to shed when you've made a commitment to public service. That's why I end the book with my belief that as much as I have gone through, that it is such a worthy profession that there is a possibility to do really good and great things. And so, if people experience it as spin, that's what they're taking away from it. I, when you close this book, I hope. Well, some people will take away. I mean, we the we lost the opportunity to have one of the the most extraordinary presidents this That's country correct. would have ever had. She was not just the most qualified woman to run for president; she was the most qualified person. Full stop. Period. And it's hard. Why do you think they want, were trying so hard to take her down? Because she did pose a threat and her gen her brilliance, but her gender, pro, pro, you know, posed a threat. And you ladies were there. I mean, how hard hard this was. I wrote in detail in 2008 and 2016 and 2000, how hard it was, how every day it was a higher and higher wall that we had to overcome. So
2: it's so fascinating to hear you say that, because one of the things I think a lot about um, is the idea that because people want there to be like some other version of Hillary Clinton That they have in their minds, right? And and it's just not the person. Um, and 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 you know this better than anyone. Yes. So I think that you know what they expect and what they're getting from the book. It, it, the disconnect. It, it's more reflection on maybe what they perceive or assume her to be, which is just not how she how I've experienced her to be, and I'm sure you know. Um, and I I think a lot about how sexism is the reason for that. That sort of. A woman is, you know, lying. They can't be trusted. They're they're secretly hiding something. Um, and I wanted to ask you about what it's what it has been like to observe going from twenty sixteen to the Women's March to twenty eighteen with the historic number of women who've been elected into Congress to sort of this moment where both Roe is at the Supreme Court and might get struck down any minute, but also you know, you're, you're stepping forward and and using your voice. Women are using their voices now. We're not like bad things are happening, but we have the space, Jess and I, um, to, you know, yell about it, yell about it really loudly. I mean, can you just talk about seeing what it, what it's been like for you to see women raise their voices after 2016, which we were all so devastated by.
0: I hope both of you keep yelling um, because we need it, and it's it's so. And 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 I'm so more than that. I'm so, I'm glad people are listening um, because you know we we need to. I um, I I wrote um, actually in detail about what it was like. I actually write in 2000 when Hillary was running for the Senate. That scene, there's a moment when she's in this debate with a Republican congressman in the middle of a debate. He wanders over her podium and is shaking a piece of paper and saying, "You sign yes. this." and back then you know it was my first it was actually my first experience of what w- women were up against in politics like real life and we were we had no idea what it meant in that moment we actually thought it was bad we thought oh my god he's going to look strong she's going to mm-hmm. look weak now as a resu- but as a result it actually helped her and it really kind of solidified women's support for her but in 2008 what i saw on the ground and what i you know what i write about in detail in the book is this notion that we did not know even those of us who are in the game, how to handle sexist comments against women. So when people said her voice annoys me or your jacket, I don't care for that jacket. Or when she comes on TV, I want to cross my legs. We all laughed nervously. We giggled. We even, you know, there's that that moment in New Hampshire, which I, I feel so passionately about writing and sharing in the book that Hillary Clinton won that primary in New Hampshire. She made history on behalf of all American women and children for generations, history that has not been matched, let alone sort of, you know, broken, and then went on to do it over and over again. And even in that moment, when she breaks down at that coffee shop in New Hampshire, she jokes about, I have to get up, I'm so tired because I have to get up, haha, and get my hair and makeup done. And, and so by the time we get to 2016, and the constant I want her jackets longer. No, nope, I want them shorter. No, nope, does she ever make a person? Everyone had a different opinion. And so I, I, the two stories in the book that really, you know, stay with me, which is why I write them, is being called by somebody who wanted to give her some media training and said, well, and I said, well, give me an idea of who she should be like. And the answer is, well, her husband. Okay, great. Give me another example. You know, President <laughs> Obama. Excellent. Except have you forgotten the fact that both of these people, are meant extraordinary communicators, but they're both men. And whenever I tried to find out who was the model, who was female, there was none because she is that model. She was the precedent for everybody else. And it was impossible. And one of my final straws is when this media consultant said, you know, she always looks angry when she's speaking. So maybe you put a picture of her grandchild on the podium so that when she comes on stage, she'll look at something that makes her happy and thus she will be happy. And I want—I just bit my tongue thinking, would anyone say this to a male politician? When a male, I describe when I first met Anthony, he was always yelling and screaming, but he was never described as yelling and screaming. He was described as a passionate advocate for his constituents. I'm sorry, my <laughs> jaw is still on the... On I know, the I head know, head I head know. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, cannot and, see and, that we and, are and, just... And yeah. it is why I chose to end the book because I want to look on the bright side always. You know, 2016 was so devastating for half this country and for, yeah. you know, and I believe devastating for hundred percent of women in for the this whole country, country. whether I mean, half of them didn't they realize knew it or not, Wait. yes, even when women voted against their interests. To look on the bright side, yes. The moment the the women speaking up and saying enough is enough we are at the table, our voices will be heard. Now, I think we need to not lose that enthusiasm because the reality is men are still in places of power. They still hold most of that space. And the only way to change that is continuing to push and represent. And I do close the book on our vice president who made history, Mm -hmm. who is a phenomenal woman. And it, annoys me when I read the things that people say about her. We should be championing every single thing that she's doing and supporting her. And to me, it's why you know I'm raising a nine-year-old boy. And for me, it is about, we just have to fundamentally change how we subconsciously think. We have to stop being afraid of women's power, both girls and boys, as we raise this next generation of human beings so that we can have women leaders at all levels, president, executives, Fortune 500 CEOs, everything. Just changing it systematically. Absolutely. Jess, you you have a question? Sure. you want me to, go.
1: I wanted to ask about the uh, I, I thought I was going <laughs> her to mouth many. is I was still on the floor you're no, still I'm, you're still on the media the grandkids make the grandkids her happy yeah. like yeah. okay yeah. no wow. I I did, I did have a real question which is about the title the title of the book which we actually haven't said yet <laughs> is both oh, and yes. <laughs> yes. um and and I had questions because it's such an enigmatic title so what what did it what did it mean to you why was that where you wanted to put the focus we went through many titles none of them
0: felt right and the minute both and came into conversation, it felt right to me. And it is because, um, I do feel as though we are increasingly living in an either or world. And mm-hmm. I was very much raised in the both. And you can be both and, uh, uh, both, you know, I can be both Indian and Pakistani. I can be an American patriot and a practicing Muslim that there are these divided lines are not, it is, I am moving along the seams. And so much of it is um, you know, how I was raised, but I just think, you know, it's, a it's, a. am very grateful that I've had the ability of, I can go pretty much anywhere in the world and feel comfortable and be comfortable. And that is because I have a both and mindset. I can work, you know, in governments and not necessarily hundred percent agree with some of the decisions we're making, but I have a seat at that table and I have a voice and that voice is listened to and respected and represented. And I felt that way the middle the minute, you know, as said earlier, there were not a lot of Brown girls wandering around in the 90s, certainly in the White House. And there were almost no no Muslims that I knew of, rather. And so to have that seat at the table and to know people were listening to you, to bring a different point of view and to be deployed. I mean, I was sent all over the world to Arab and Muslim countries. I Bill Clinton asked me to come to Camp David, a 24-year-old at you know, the Camp David peace talks in the closing days of his administration. They saw that different perspective. I write about how the, you know, every time I recognize my privilege, when I went to Iraq in the middle of the Iraq war and Hillary was a Senator meeting with these women, knowing we shared so much. And yet we were on opposite sides of the line, going to the refugee camp in Macedonia and meeting with Kosovar Muslims, like really trying to make these, you know, these connections. And, um, I, I, I feel like I'm always going to be that way. I'm always going to want to know and understand and, and be able to live in this both-and space. I'm not going to let them take that away from, you know, the, those of us who want to be both-and. Yeah. So
2: one of the things that i I'm always been fascinated um, about with you is uh, your ability to have grace under pressure. Um, mm-hmm. Under, like, immense amounts of pressure. And I think, like, I think every person listening would like to know how to do that better. Um, I, I think it's a human, a, a human trait we all share Um, and you've faced, I mean, just personal that bleeds into your professional, which I can't imagine, right? Because sometimes people have personal family stuff, but that's not affecting them in their jobs. They can compartmentalize Um, how, what is, do you have a secret? What's is, do, you, do, you, do you talk to yourself in the mirror? Is it like is oh my sort of god, lipstick? Is it like no. is oh, it lipstick healthy? always
0: helps. Lipstick definitely always helps. Oh, okay. Well, this is a tip.
2: I I can do that. I'm like I can do that. Oh my
0: god. <laughs> well, for me, it's always been a combination. Honestly, it's been faith. I mean, I I really um, I was raised as a Muslim. I think having that core, knowing you can go back. And be, Islamic prayer essentially is a meditation. Is stepping back from the world and reflecting. I've never been a rash, never sort of rushed to anything. And my parents raised me with this idea that radical empathy is an important thing to carry. And that maybe is why I, when I landed in Clinton land and Hillary land, because that is how Hillary land operates. It is a place of radical empathy. And so whenever I was going through a really challenging time, I always recognized that there were other people who had it worse or other people who had it harder. And was grateful for what I did have, and tried to kind of center myself. Now it wasn't easy, and I think in terms of the personal, uh, you know, uh, challenges as it relates to my marriage, I um, and and it's why I share these stories in the book. Even though it felt very alone, I I and in hindsight, I now am affirmed. I am not the only woman who unfortunately has had to go through these things. Yeah. I just had to do it on the front page of the, the newspaper, mm-hmm. and so of the many reasons I wrote the book, one is if this can help one person who's trying to figure it out, try to, how do you get to the other side? Does the pain stop? What are the right choices? Because going back to one of the first questions Jess asked me, as a woman, you are often judged no matter what your decision is. Mm -hmm. Do you stay? Do you go? Do you, you know,
1: do you
0: say negative things about your boss or say great things? You can never get it right. And There's a letter I opened, I opened the book with a letter my dad wrote that I found after he died that essentially says, you know, a commitment should be a commitment. If you can't stand the heat, as Truman said, get out of the kitchen. But most importantly, let others do what they will. You are responsible for yourself, you know, your principles and values. And ultimately, this is between you and your higher power. You have to live with yourself in the end and to keep the other voices out, which is something... I, I, you know, I I struggled at at times to do, but I've really tried to keep the outside voices out and listen to my, my inner voice. And it has helped me. It really has.
1: I know that we only have the briefest of time left. So I just want to ask what's next for you. Like, do we get to vote for you at any point? Jess, I totally messed
0: this up. I was so nervous. when I did my first interview. I have stolen from Shonda Rhimes and she wrote her memoir. She said this was going to be her year of saying yes. This is my year of saying yes, but I think there's a yes, but I do not see myself running for office. (laughs) I like, I do like having a voice in the world, though. That is a thing that has been revealed to me. I thought I would do two interviews and then want to go like hide behind this curtain i'm i'm embracing being in the space i'm savoring every moment uh but i i'm gonna allow things and opportunities to come to me and and i hope something worthy
1: comes of it hopefully sure it will homa Aberdeen thank you Hi. so much for hanging out with us today it's been just a delight getting to see you jess and Zerlina. this was a highlight
0: of my week thank you i've so enjoyed talking. <laughs> thank you so much
1: We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening.